0: Uh, If you guys wanna introduce yourselves and education outreach, that would be a good place to start. Yeah, for sure. Um,
1: Well, I'm Sakshi, Sakshikara. I'm a freshman majoring in molecular and cell bio with a just today declared minor um, for environmental sciences. Um, And I am part of the subcommittee of Dietary Choices in Education Outreach.
2: All right, and then I'm Grace Adams. I'm also a freshman at the U of A, majoring in Environmental Science. I'm also a member of Students for Sustainability, um, Education Outreach, but I'm in the subcommittee for Growing Your Own Food.
0: All right, Um, yeah, so today we'll just be talking about uh, a plant-based diet. So first, what drew you to researching and learning about plant-based diets and sustainability? So um, what initially drew me was the fact that my cousin,
1: um, he was very into learning about a plant-based diet and trying to switch over. Um, And he sort of understood that I was wanting to go in the same line And he gave me a bunch of references and a bunch of sources and told me to read them. And honestly, researching is probably the best way to go about understanding what kind of plant-based diet works for you, Um, because it's not the same for everyone, for sure. And there was another documentary in high school that um, really grossed me out in terms of eating animal products. So that was just another push towards becoming becoming more plant-based.
2: Yeah, and for me, it's kind of been a recent thing. I mean, we grew up, my family grew up kind of on the lower income bracket, um, and so we weren't able to really focus on what we were doing and the impacts that it had on the environment and stuff like that. So kind of getting into college and learning about different plant-based diets and impacts that that has on the environment, and then even just on your well-being was really interesting to me. And so I've been trying to implement in my family, like meatless Mondays or like I'm lactose intolerant. So I already don't do a lot of dairy products or anything like that, but just sort of learning about what that actually means for your body and and the environment as well.
0: Awesome. Um, So how do you individually define a plant-based diet? That's a very good question. And the definition
1: does change from person to person Um, A plant-based diet, I believe, is just incorporating more fruits and vegetables and more natural products into your diet and sort of eliminating um, the animal products, like eggs or dairy products and things like that. Um, And of course, like I said, it it depends on each person. And so a plant-based diet doesn't necessarily have to be like hardcore vegan and um, just like trying to get everyone else to go vegan, it's more understanding, like Grace said, what your body needs and um, what you need in the long run to sustain yourself.
2: Yeah, kind of going off on that same thing, a plant-based diet for me is trying to eat more like vegetables than I do meat, which has been interesting because in my family, we're very big meat eaters, you know, we have meat as our main course for every meal, right, and so thinking about how you can mitigate that, and eat maybe more vegetables or fruits that have similar amounts of protein or different stuff in that and so I think it's sort of to me a plant-based diet you don't really have to get rid of all of your meat or animal products because especially doing that cold turkey is really hard so it's sort of just keeping an eye on what you're eating and being conscious of what you're eating and where it comes from and how it's processed and made is a big thing for me.
0: That's awesome. Those are some great answers. Um, So Now we're kind of going to get into the advantages of plant-based diets. Um, So in your opinion, what are the main environmental benefits of a plant-based diet? Well, um, in my environmental
1: sciences class right now, we're learning about agriculture currently. Well, so 97% of the water that is present on earth is water that we can't use. It's either salt water or very high or low in pH, and it's just not sustainable for the human population. And the rest of the the rest of the water comes from is mostly groundwater, and that's being depleted at very very high rates. And I believe it's almost 80% of that that's used for agriculture. And agriculture, another subsect of that, would be livestock, of actually um, creating livestock. And there's just in an insane amount of water that's used to um, to create one hamburger patty. And I think when you look at those numbers, you kind of step back and you realize that, wait, this is actually a lot. And I never realized this before because we just kind of like consume it without actually understanding what's going on behind the scenes. But once you do, it's a very,
0: very eye-opening process. Well, yeah, so yeah, a plant-based diet. Like- yeah, you definitely save some natural resources and water with that. What about you, guys? Yeah,
2: especially, I I mean, that's kind of the agriculture thing. I'm learning a lot about that right now, also in my environmental science classes and different things, but about half of the cropland that is on the earth right now is used to make grains that actually feed livestock. And so we're losing that energy from the grains that goes into the livestock and If you think about it in a food pyramid perspective, we're losing a lot of energy and just using that cropland to feed the livestock. If if we were able to use that land to grow plants, we'd be able to feed a lot more people and, and cut down especially on carbon emissions and different things like that because livestock production and the industrial kind of agriculture, especially that we have in the United States, doesn't really pay attention to soil fertility and different things like that. I mean, you hear about... Algal blooms and different things from stripping the soil and nitrogen and all of this, and there's a lot of different things that I'll wrap into agriculture and thinking about plant based diets um, like that, so I think the main thing for me is. Just being aware of the different opportunity costs that we're taking. By supporting the industrial agriculture sector, because if we were to grow plants and get the yields that we would need, we would have to actually use like resilient processes that would encourage soil fertility and carbon sequestration, which would also help with climate change and different stuff like that. And it's just all wrapped up into one big thing.
1: I mean, as far as like as far as both go right now. Um... Well, conventionally, conventional agriculture is also incredibly dangerous because you're in, um, increasing the amount of pesticides and herbicides used. Like glyphosate is a huge one that's used in the um, in the Midwest, primarily because they grow cotton um, and corn. And well, BT corn is the GMO version of the corn, and it's it uses incredible amounts of um, fertil- chemical fertilizers. So, can there are definitely downsides to plant agriculture how it is right now because it's all conventional and the amount of organic um, farming that goes on right now is very very small compared to um, compared to conventional agriculture so um, they both definitely do have their downsides as far as animal agriculture goes I think that is the one thing that we can start to limit right now Um, I know I've gotten a lot of a lot of comments like what what would happen to all of the plants and stuff if um if everyone stopped eating meat what would happen and the point of that is that there'd be a lot of waste there still is a lot of waste in terms of animal agriculture and you don't know what you're what you're actually actually eating right like they'll tell you that it's chicken they'll tell you that it's beef or pork or whatever but you don't actually know that you have no idea what's going on behind behind um, the process. And I think that was very well outlined in The Jungle by Upton Sinclair um, back back when this was a huge, huge problem in, um, in the factories. So I, it's just you need to be aware of both of the industries and what you're actually intaking because both of them have disadvantages.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree with that there's definitely downsides to it and kind of going off of what Sakshi was saying with the amount of farmland that's organic right now it's especially hard because the infrastructure that we've built up is aimed toward conventional agriculture and maximizing the crops that you get and to do that switch to more resilient things like organic and different ways of farming it's really hard especially for the farmers themselves because farming is not a very lucrative um, occupation farmers don't really um, make the big bucks and so it's hard for them farm by farm basis to switch to those more organic things even though they would want to because they they share the same feelings they're like we want to be feeding people actual food that they know what it is but it's hard for them and so it's not only in the animal agriculture industry that, that things like that are happening but it's also in the plant agriculture business and stuff like that. So they both definitely have their downsides, but overall, I think we're making leaps and bounds, especially as people want to move their diets more plant-based and organic.
0: Yeah, that's great to hear. So the next question is, how could opting for a plant-based diet impact food waste in the U.S.?
1: As far as plant-based diets go, um, I think primarily for me, I've also begun to opt for um, healthier diet and they don't need to be synonymous obviously there's there's still plant-based junk food but um it kind of motivates you to go in the right direction because like cheetos aren't plant-based whatsoever and i used to eat a lot of them but um but now it's like well they come in plastic packaging and they come and a lot of them come in very like non-biodegradable packaging right so um as far as like understanding um, how it decreases food waste. I think once you move to a more plant-based diet, you start to understand the health benefits of what you're actually eating. So it starts to, you start to mitigate what you take in and what you're you're kind of eliminating out of your diet. And once you start like incorporating fruits and vegetables in your diet, I mean, some of them might go bad, like obviously just because we live in Arizona and it's just super hot outside, some of them might go bad. But still, you have compostable waste now that you can use for your gardens um, in your backyards and stuff like that. So it doesn't just go to waste like these plastic packaging um, or
0: foils and stuff that you put food in. Thank you for those answers. Um, So we've talked a little bit about the advantages of plant-based diets, but now we're going to switch it up and talk about the disadvantages or challenges um, of plant-based diets. So what would you say are the disadvantages of a plant-based diet, if any? Sadly, this world is economically
1: driven, and it's just all about making money, and it's very, very, very profit-driven, and I cannot stress that enough. And although it just makes me, like, it just infuriates me, that's the sad reality we live in. So it's so much more expensive to eat fruits and vegetables than it is, like, unhealthy non-plant-based food and I mean as far as the disadvantages go it's also the meat is also pretty expensive but it also depends on what meat you get like if you get the unprocessed kind very expensive but if you get the processed like bologna stuff like that very inexpensive and it makes for easy lunches and stuff even even in um, areas where they might not be the most affluent Right, but um, it's just really annoying because um, people who can afford, afford fruits and vegetables tend to stray away from them and the people who actually need fruits and vegetables can't afford them. And so when you like get to that disparity, um, I think people who can afford these fruits and vegetables need to do a better job of um, understanding what a plant-based diet actually is and switching over and with that it should switch the economic balance to making these these um, plant-based items less expensive for the um, communities who don't receive as much as the um, other communities so it's just kind of we need to do our part in order for people who don't have the food resources right now to get their resources because um, again like we're just all together we all need to be together in this endeavor. And it's not just one person that's going to change the world. Like, as far as me going vegetarian, or me even trying to be vegan, I'm not going to change the world. And it's, it's a hard pill to swallow. But I'm not going to change the world unless other people come and join. Right? So it's just a matter of like, helping each other and helping each other understand and research the benefits of doing this. You can't just only be interested in something. Like the health of our planet needs to be a passion that everyone holds. And as of right now, that's not, that's not where people are at. And instead they're arguing the opposite way. So at, we've definitely done amazing things in, um, in this realm and everyone is definitely contributing to the best that they can. But there are still people who don't believe in um, in helping the planet, and that's that's what we need to start to um, address and target for future for future opportunities and goals.
2: Yeah, completely. And then even this kind of this question is right up my alley because I'm doing some research right now about environmental injustice and marginalized communities and different things like that within our food system and something that I've been focusing on a lot is racism in agriculture and I mean if you think about it I mean what was America founded on (laughs) agriculture cotton crops who (laughs) I mean who farmed that it was slaves right was these people that were brought here against their will and so I've been looking at how racism has persisted through agriculture and through um, disenfranchisement different things like that and especially with plant-based diets and eating healthier food like Sakshi was saying there's these things called food deserts and food insecurity where there's people um, poor people or marginalized communities who don't have access to the healthier foods or they don't have the means to switch to a plant-based diet or really even implement much of it because they don't have the income or they don't have the markets or the stores within a reasonable distance of their homes to, to implement that. So it's it's definitely a disadvantage when you're looking at how our society is structured and how our society is run. Also going off of what Sakshi was saying about the entire way our country is run being focused on economic motivations, it's definitely discouraging to see that. But as people Especially even going off into the Black Lives Matter movement last summer, thinking about all of the different aspects that different social issues like this have on our world and our food system and and the overall health of people. It's really staggering to see just how ingrained it all is, but it's also very encouraging to see that people are working on these issues and they're working to make community gardens and they're working on replanning cities and building new cities in ways where there are community gardens and urban agriculture spaces for these people who might live in the lower income areas so that they can still get the healthy food that they need. So although there are disadvantages, things are things are looking up.
1: And to, to sort of go off of that again, um as far as like the racism, racism goes in, um, in the food economy. There's also a lot of sexism that happens as well. Um, Because in, in other countries and America too, I mean, America is not exempt from any of this, right? Like, women are primarily the people who bring the water and the food to their homes and cook and like continuously just provide for their families in terms of food and water and in a lot of these countries that don't necessarily have as much water as um or like irrigation systems or um like different different water systems in place as um like first world countries they literally have to go like three or four miles get like two or three buckets of water, carry it either on their head or in both arms and take it back to where they were and then go back in the evening. And sometimes they don't even have water in that, um, in that lake that they're, that they're trying to get it from. And it's, it's primarily the women because the men go and work or whatever and they come back. And if there's, not any, if there's no food, If there's no water, these women get abused. They they like severely get um, abused. They're harassed, and it just seems as if everything is on the weight of these of their shoulders, and they in turn have to deal with the punishment if there's nothing that that the planet can offer because it's just so dried up, right? And I think a lot of us we take that for granted in terms of like getting flowing water um, in our in all of our taps and everything and it's just really really sad to see that everything is so in, ingrained and and like sexism and racism and everything like it should it, they should be completely separate entities but they're not and um, and that's also also why we all need to like work towards creating a better planet Because by creating a better planet, we can sort of unravel all of these, um, all of these inherent problems and target them one by one so that we could create a better functioning society that isn't only profit-driven, that isn't um, incredibly sexist or isn't racist, right? And we can provide to everyone in a way that they deserve because right now the disparity in what some people are getting versus what what other people are getting is so great that it just, we just honestly need to do a better job in um, understanding these problems and tackling them and starting to
0: unravel them so that we can actively target them. Yeah, thank you. You both did a great job of um, explaining why like an intersectional perspective is so important when addressing social injustices. So now I think we're gonna switch to kind of a different aspect um, of some of the challenges of a plant-based diet. Um, So would either of you be able to discuss uh, how consuming meat and other animal products in certain cultures could pose a barrier to switching to a plant-based diet?
2: Yeah, sure. So the main thing that pops into my mind with that is kind of what I was mentioning earlier, is you have cultures and communities, I'm thinking specifically Americans, I don't know why, but we like our hamburgers, we like our hot dogs, we like our meat, we like our steak, stuff like that. It's kind of what we're built on in a way. We have kind of a patriotic sense and what we eat. I mean, you think, oh, it's a summertime barbecue, what are you going to have? You're going to have a bunch of meat, right? And so different things like that, it's hard to shift people's perspectives to maybe not doing that or, or changing what they eat and how they view what that means to them in a cultural sense and I think I can't speak for many other places out there but a lot of different cultures food is very integral to who they are and what they eat and how they prepare it and who they eat it with and the different celebrations and things Um, whether it be just focusing heavily on meat or if it's they are being inclusive and their culture is very well-rounded in their diets and stuff like that. It's, it's hard to ask someone to change that, especially when food is such a big part of culture. I know when I think of places and people, I think, oh, what do they eat? You know, you think of Europeans and Parisians and you think, oh, fancy French food, or, or like you think of like Latin America, Central America, you think, oh, beans and rice, you know, and barbacoa and carne asada and all these different things. And so when food is such synonymous with culture and the way that people live, it's hard to, to ask someone to change that when it seems so out of reach. And so I think part of what we all need to be thinking about is how can we make plant-based diets more applicable to different cultures and not just you know your your middle class family in America who can afford to go down to the supermarket and buy just plant-based things and how are we going to make this plant-based diet thing actually applicable to places outside of America
1: yeah for sure and honestly like with being Indian I was born and brought up here but um, like when I go back I know a lot of a lot of places in South India are purely vegetarian Um, and my entire family actually is vegetarian except for my dad it's just it definitely is a cultural effect but the the food that you get there um, that's pretty much plant-based too like minus the um, clarified butter and stuff Uh, clarified butter and yogurt the food there, like we have um idlis and they're called they're pretty much rice cakes so fermented um fermented like ground up soaked rice and lentils and that's that's pretty much the base for a lot of these dishes and if you like actually get into um the details of how everything is made and and stuff like that you'd notice that a lot of it is plant-based and for North India, there's a lot of masalas and a lot of spices and everything that are, that are used. And the taste of those spices I think are what give, um, I think is what gives people the pleasure of eating that food and not the meat itself. And I think a lot of people have a hard time trying to dissociate the two because for the longest time, well, chicken has been used in um, in like chicken biryani or something like that, right? But if you take out the chicken aspect of it, it's gonna still taste the same, right? And I think getting people to understand that aspect and not having them just like go with whatever has been taught to them is where we need to start. And our generation is doing a lot of that. Like our generation is doing very, very well in terms of, in terms of sort of straying away from the normal path and moving towards understanding for themselves what they need to be doing and um like I know I know um I've gotten a lot of like I'm not gonna say hate but a lot of negative comments in terms of oh why are you vegan like it's not good for kids guess what I'm 19 I'm not a kid anymore but um they're like it's not good for kids and why don't you just drink milk like it's it's within our culture and all of that stuff and I'm like if we go on continuing to follow, follow our culture in a way that was described like what, hundreds of thousands of years ago, we never really get our own voice in what we wanna do and what, how we wanna eat, right? So it's just, it's just a matter of like understanding who you are, where you come from and what you're okay with doing because these diets like like keto or pescatarian and stuff like that, they're not for everyone. And neither is a plant-based diet, but if you're willing and open to changing what has been ingrained in your minds for years and years,
0: I think that's the best place to start. Thank you for that input. So you've kind of addressed some of the challenges of plant-based diets and how like food deserts make food like inaccessible. Um, how can we make plant-based options more accessible?
2: Right, so kind of in the food food desert sort of inner city, thinking about community farms and different things like that. If you focus on making most of your meals vegetable, I think in situations like that, especially if there are community gardens or even um, like co-ops and different things like that in your area, Um, for those marginalized communities or even soup kitchens and stuff like that a lot of people are realizing nowadays that there are different diets that people follow and not everyone eats the same way anymore not everyone is a meat potatoes type of person and and it's working on that and especially for those of us who have the opportunities to buy local produce or even start your own garden and while you're you're doing that you also have to be conscious of where you live and what your climate is and what farming practices work best in where you live because kind of going off of the water use thing if you live in the desert you're going to have to figure out what ways you can irrigate your crops effectively and still keep healthy soil and so and a lot of knowledge can come from that just the act of farming and gardening and a lot of different things can go off of growing your own food and maybe implementing that into your plant-based diet and in different farmers markets things like that can also help too um, and they can also support local businesses and other people who value the same things the plant-based diets the veggies the earth <laughs> that can help too as well
1: yeah it's just honestly like trying to um trying to make it accessible for everyone as of right now it's just We need to continue to work in that aspect and we need more leaders in office that um, care about this endeavor because again everything comes under politics and everything comes under the economy and as unfortunate that as that is that's our reality today, so we need to. um, We need to make sure that we have leaders who care about um, about this because um, only then can they enact laws protecting um, farmlands because right now a lot of farmers are being displaced from from their lands or they're not getting enough money. um, And so they have to shut down their farms and stuff like that. So if they're protected under the law, well then that would help lessen the prices of um, farm fresh food and, and things like that. So so I guess as far as making individual changes go, that's important, that's very important. But we also need to be willing to strive to um, better our political state um, and make sure that our voices are heard in terms of creating an environmentally sustainable food economy because in the end, our generation is going to be the one taking over. And if we don't have a solid foundation for our leadership and for, for our lives, pretty much, it's not going to work out. And we already feel that today, right? I mean, a lot of our generation is, is picking, picking everything up and they're, they're putting everything on their shoulders and they're trying to be active in their communities and trying to be active in politics to get their voices heard. But I think it's just, it just boils down to, um, to right now. We just need to focus on a solution right now in order to make that difference later on because we can destroy the planet in very little time, but rebuilding it is gonna take a lot more time, right? So it's just trying to make everything accessible isn't gonna happen right now. But as long as we take the necessary actions right now and we get involved and do everything that we need to do, we will start to see food accessibility and um, lessening food insecurities. And um, honestly, like every problem related with food, we're going to see decrease as we co- if we continue to um, be more involved and understand the political process
2: more things to add Um, going off of kind of the very empowering vibe I think that Sakshi's giving us of you have to take action now in the large sense like it's not only individual actions that are going to change the world but you have to you have to participate in politics and things like that to truly make a change but focusing back down on the individual aspects um, I know it's kind of a daunting thing to look at and say oh wow going right into a plant-based diet that's kind of hard for a lot of people to quantify so some just pretty basic stuff you can start doing is maybe meatless Mondays or try not to eat meat for a day a week and then maybe amp it up to two days or different things like that you can also try one thing that's been really big for me is alternatives to milk because I can't do the lactose but I try the almond milk and the soy milk the cashew milk whatever try all of them if you like one of them great And it also might not be for you. You might have to to look around a little bit and try, but little things like that can also add up. Um, And another just sort of warning when you first go plant-based or if you're going to try to go straight up vegan, be careful that you're still balancing the food that you're eating. Like you have to make sure that you're still getting enough proteins and not too many carbs because a lot of plant-based diets and things like that are very carb heavy, which can really make an impact on your energy levels different things like that so just be aware on that individual aspect what you're doing the choices you're making and the impacts they're going to have and then those those individual impacts they're going to have a result right your, your family might be like oh why are you doing that and they might start it too It might spread out into your community so it's kind of this in a sense it's trickle down from those bigger institutionalized changes that we want but it's also Building up, like those individual actions, those small things do matter as well.
1: Yeah, just one more thing to add. I've heard the misconception that being plant based relates to eating grass. And I will say that is like incredibly false, incredibly false. Like you need to find the recipes, they're there. They're for sure there. Like if you like something with gravy or if you like meat with gravy, take out the meat and seitan is like an incredibly popular thing and beyond burgers are great and like it's not plant-based but it's also not meat paneer paneer is a great option and there's so many there's so many options and um and it's just it just all comes down to research you have to research what you want to eat right so like just going blindly off of what your parents say or what um, like adults around you say isn't going to cut it anymore. Sorry to say, but we're all adults, right? Like we can make our own decisions. And so what decision you make is based off of how well you research. There are plenty of plant-based options. There are plenty of gravies that you could use. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot that you can do with a plant-based diet. And I think everyone's under the impression that you can't season plant-based food. You for sure can. Spices are definitely a thing, right? Like you can't, there's no barrier that tells you that you can add spices to your meat, but you can't add spices to tofu or paneer or something, right? Like you just, I you just have to like stop falling under that impression and just move away from what everyone else is trying to tell you sort of, step back, think for yourself and be like, okay, well, that makes sense. So I'm going to I'm gonna figure it out on my own. And I mean, if someone is there to help me, I'm going to get that support. But for the most part, I'm going to think for myself. And I think that's what um, a lot of people need to need to do. They just need to step back from their diet, think of what they're eating, and think of more sustainable ways to um, create the existing food.
0: Thank you for the um, input from both of you. And um, you both addressed some of the ways that people can introduce more plant-based foods into their diets. Um, Are there any resources that you would recommend for those wanting to transition into a plant-based diet?
2: I know there's, I found it I believe last semester on the campus health website. I think it might be um, a more widely accessible thing out there I haven't found any but just sort of especially for younger people in our generation it can seem a little daunting when like Sakshi said all your all you know how to make is what your parents have taught you how to eat right and so how do you make I don't know a hamburger how do you make whatever meat-based dish that might be the only thing you know how to make or and so different resources like that especially in the communities and in groups that are Focused on these issues and focused on plant-based diets and how that impacts the environment. There are a lot of resources out there, and there's also, as I mentioned before, the community garden kind of co-op thing. There's a lot of people out there who know what they're doing in terms of food and cooking and can tell you how to make some really great-tasting plant-based food. Let me tell you, um, there's a restaurant in Tucson that I know that is uh, Latin food, but it's it's all plant-based. It's vegan, and it you can't tell. And So there's definitely ways out there to, like Sakshi was saying, to make plant-based food taste good. And there's definitely resources out there as well within communities to even teach you how to do it. I know in times right now it's hard to get together and go to like a cooking class or something like that. But increasingly there are opportunities opened up where people, professional chefs, things like this, people that run soup kitchens are teaching people how to make their own plant-based meals that actually taste good and then kind of going off of that other resources i oftentimes tend to forget that we're all in it together i know that's something that sakshi's been saying throughout this entire meeting but like we're all we all need to focus on this this is all something that should be at least on a little bit of our brain and so use those around you Ask people, you know, have you ever made this but substituted the chicken for something else? You know, like ask your family even. They might have more recipes than you think that are plant-based that maybe you just don't remember different things like that. And and even reaching back into your family tree and seeing what were some of the foods that they ate or different stuff like that. And there's a lot of different ways that you can incorporate um, still having that cultural aspect to the food as well as making it um affordable and healthy in the plant-based sense. So don't shy away from it. There's people out there who are feeling the same thing that you are and they, they want to make an impact on it and they want to try to eat plant-based. So just gather together and make some good food.
1: I have a question for you too. So um I know you guys have been talking about just like introducing it and everything, but something I want to hear more about is maybe like how to face different like stigmas that you get maybe from family members or friends that may be against the idea of plant-based dieting yeah I mean a lot of them a lot of them are under the impression that eating a plant-based diet gives you less nutrition which is which isn't accurate whatsoever because if you actually like pick up the nutrition labels on the sides of like whatever container or if you like search up the nutrition value of a um, of like a bell pepper versus a steak like you can actively see the difference and everyone tries to argue in terms of like like I said like you're just a kid um, this is just a phase and all of that stuff like you get a lot of negative comments from people who you know haven't done their research on this stuff. Okay, and you can you can definitely argue a lot better than they can in terms of going plant based. And um, once you give them the facts, they're kind of like, okay, okay, well, well, and they'll give you some other false argument. And it's just this vicious cycle that you need to, um, you need to be patient with, and you need to explain to them. And if they don't listen, you explain it to someone who's willing to listen. Um because there are always people who are willing to listen who are and who are willing to learn about um, about all of this. So it's just a matter of finding those people and actively telling telling them what your experiences are. and hopefully they have other people in their lives too that want want to make a difference. And this is a great way to make a difference. As far as like family and all of that stuff, I love my family, but I'm my own person, right? I'm my own person and I can make my own decisions that, that might not necessarily align with what my family feels. And if they give me hate for it, I'm going to give them the facts and if they still give me hate, well, okay. They're not gonna change my mind and I'm still gonna try to change theirs. So <laughs> you just come to a standstill where you're like, their, their arguments are, really have no effect on you but you're still going to try, try to do whatever you can to um, change their ideas. And I think if you stop paying attention to what other people say, and very cliche, but if you stop paying attention to uh, what other people say, that's when you grow to your best self. And same applies for what kind of food you eat. Because what kind of food you eat, definitely like one of the most important things that determines our lives
2: yes i also i have a quick story actually i mentioned that restaurant in tucson that um latin food It's actually tumerico definitely not a promotion or anything but hey if you want to try some good plant-based food check it out so we um we're going to tucson for a family dinner and my mom and i were planning it and my stepdad um is kind of of the mindset where if something doesn't have meat in it then it's not very filling like it can't fill you up right i'm gonna need more of it this type of mindset and so my mom and i decided not to tell him that where we were going for food was vegan we just told him the name of it and we told him we're going and we went and then we show up and the guy says okay have you ever been here before and I said no and he says okay so this is our all vegan restaurant blah blah blah. we have this and this and this my stepdad turns to me he says what why are we here? And at first he was like very, very shocked and, and overall I think he was just confused, but he was very open to the idea once we sat down and we got our food and he ate it and he said it was fantastic. And so it's also that, that reinforcing stereotype that people have in their minds with the nutrition that you can't get all the same things from plants that you can get from meat, but it's definitely a tactic to use if you want to you want to get your your family members to to try plant-based to just take them to a restaurant don't tell them where you're going and ask them if they can tell if it's meat or not but I think along the lines of stigmas with that it has been an interesting progression at least in my case with my family because they're very open-minded people they're very respectful people and as Sakshi was saying we're all adults here and we can choose what we want to eat and and thankfully my family has been really really in tune to trying new things and doing the meat this monday's things and i've made a couple of dishes that um that didn't have any animal products in it and they were willing to try it and i think that's another thing that going off of what sakshi was saying you might have you might not have that backing you might not have that resource um, of people that are willing to try what you're doing but as long as you keep going and you be you'd be gentle and you'd be cautious uh, with what you're doing it's it, the stigma will fade eventually as people come to realize that these things that we're talking about and these impacts are real, and and eating plants is actually good for you.
0: <laughs> Thank you for sharing those stories. of I like the one with your dad at America. That was pretty funny. So, um, just in general, talking like general sustainability, besides consuming a primary a primarily plant focused diet. What other steps can be taken to make one's diet more sustainable?
1: So definitely um, opting for more organic food is, is one thing that comes to mind. Um, Like I mentioned before, the insane use of fertilizers and herbicides and pesticides. So hold on. I actually do have a story Um, or not a story, but like an um, informative idea. So, the company monsanto is incredibly known for their gmos and um and their like use of chemicals in um like during world war ii and onwards right and what a lot of people don't know is that they actually created agent orange during um the vietnam war and that's the source of like many Many Vietnamese um, people being born with um, defects and other, like other neurological or physiological problems. And this is the same company that creates the GMOs that go in the corn that we eat. And if you look at, if you look at a lot of the um, nutrition labels, a lot of them have maltodextrin. A lot of them have high high fructose corn syrup and they're super unhealthy, but they come from BT corn. And this corn has been chemically processed to give you like the forced form of corn. Um, and a lot of the time these companies are looking for quantity over quality and taste because it's just an easy way to turn a profit, right? And, um, and Monsanto actually, I mean, I feel like a lot of us just learned that it was, it was a company that created GMOs and it was fairly recent. Actually, no, it was there since World War II. And they sort of, they created the chemicals that went into, um, that actually started the, or initiated the reaction, the nuclear reaction in the bombs that were dropped on um, Hiroshima and Nagasaki. So if you're trusting a company that created these chemicals that pretty much destroyed two cities in japan and you're trusting them with the chemicals and the food that you eat that's a very very concerning concerning thing and i looked at that and i was like just just a matter of like understanding the ingredients that are in um in everything it just And like researching these ingredients, it'll give you such a new perspective on what to eat and what not to eat. Because honestly, like before, before I started this whole endeavor, I was just like blindly eating chicken. Like I, I wasn't, um, part of my religion, like we don't eat beef. We don't eat pork. It was just mostly chicken and shrimp for me and like a gallon of milk a day. Cause I, I drink four cups of milk a day. I don't know why, but it was just, it was just a thing. And, um, and sort of like understanding all of this and I, was, I took a step back and I was like, hold up. There has to be a better way, right? There has to be a better way of like consuming things and everything and ethically consuming meat. Please watch What the Health. It's a very good documentary that outlines everything and if you're not, it's a very, very grotesque scenario, but there are videos on how they actually like treat these animals and take them to butcher shops and like they'll cultivate these animals for specific, for specific food reasons. And it shows you the entire process. And it's very, very disgusting to say the least. And I mean, that's, that's one thing that I watched that completely like pushed me the other way so just understanding what is going in your food, just like as far as eating less processed food and opting for food that's not a plastic pack, it's just a great way to start to read what's, what you're eating because a lot of people don't read the fine print and in the fine print is what you're actually, actually consuming and that fine print is probably the reason that America is the highest in cardiovascular disease or that's the number one killer in the country because no one reads what they're eating and that has to be the like first thing that you start doing if you're going to start eating healthy is healthy and sustainable is my opinion
2: yeah I think that was fantastic I also I haven't seen what the health but I've seen um, it's a docu-series called rotten and it goes through different different foods and how it goes from harvesting production different things like that they talk about avocados they talk about honey Um, they really go in depth about the food system and even the economic motivations of it all it's really interesting but I think just some some broad spectrum things that you can do to make your diet a bit more sustainable is like Sakshi was saying um, kind of straying away from plastic packaging different stuff like that get your own like grocery sacks that you can take with you to put vegetables in instead of using the the plastic vegetable wrap thing they have at the store you can also just in general even if you're not buying food but just have cloth bags keep them in your car Uh, they're washable you can keep them they stick around a lot longer than your plastic bags do Um, you can also diet I'm thinking all things related food you can watch your paper towel usage you can use cloth napkins different stuff like that that all kind of ties into diet and how you you run your your life in regards to food glass storage containers instead of plastic that you're going to eventually have to throw away because they'll get gross I know we've all been there Um, and I think it's an interesting concept but just like Sakshi was saying try to look at something and tell yourself what's in it. Try to guess what's in it before you you buy it or you pick it up off the shelf before you read that nutrition label and see if you actually know what's in it. If you don't, maybe double double guess that one, double check it. Maybe you want to look for something else and then going off of the organic type thing too. um, Organic is used Um, as an argument saying sometimes that it takes more water it takes more land to grow things organically which is something that people are looking at right now and how do we actually ramp up organic cropland in the United States because it's pretty new and it's hard to go full organic but just even if you can't afford necessarily the organic produce or all these things just more vegetables I mean essentially they're all the same things they have all the same nutrients and so making that choice individually to to just veggies that's all I have that's my last thing vegetables just eat vegetables
0: that's great vegetables are great (laughs) (laughs) all right and last thing that we are going to touch on um outside of individual dietary changes how can the agriculture industry become more sustainable on a larger scale? The privatization of
1: agriculture is is probably the sole reason for um, for like for it not being sustainable because it's all just all about how these CEOs can make a quick buck. And I know we've talked about it a lot, but it just comes back again, right? Like, it's just every single thing ties in with how much money you can make and how that's so sad. That's so terrible. And the fact that, like, people need to count their money or, like, count the amount, the amount that they have at hand right now just to be able to afford something to eat for that day, it's ridiculous. And private, the privatization of everything has pretty much been like the downfall of, of what's going on. Because um, I know a lot of, I was doing this for Model UN and a lot of other countries, they actually gave um, their governments the opportunity to, to, what, to create like different seed banks and different storage facilities for um, to increase plant diversity, by increasing plant diversity, you're also increasing the amount of um, well seeds and the amount of opportunities you have to plant these seeds elsewhere, right? And by giving it to the government, you're making it more accessible to the people because they have to like under under the laws we have now, they have to be transparent with the people. Like whatever's going on inside the poli- um, inside politics could be kept secret okay, that's not super transparent, but all of these like agriculture-based things, they need to give you the statistics, and they need to give you what is going on, and once you take the government aspect out of that and bring in a CEO that makes everything private and um, creates a business out of everything, that's where the problem arises. So I think the government needs to take back control, and as it sounds impossible, but it really isn't. As long as people are willing, um, as long as there, there's enough opposition from the public, in terms of like, opposition being, we oppose the businesses. I'm talking about the like corporate large scale businesses, small businesses are great, please support them. But the the large ones. And so if if enough of us can go up against them and create in like create chaos for them i guess i'm not trying to incite any violence here but create chaos in terms of protests and actively caring and actively trying to create a difference in your community that's what's necessary and i think that's what's going to be the future for taking the corporate hands out of um, out of farming and out of the agriculture industry and we can give it back to the government where we can see what's going on with, with, um, with farmers and what's going on with the land usage and all of that stuff. So just a great deal of transparency is what we need at this point and we're not gonna get that with privatized firms.
2: Yeah, I completely, that's something that I was going to touch on a lot is the economic motivation of it and how Sakshi was saying, it's just people trying to make a quick buck, which food shouldn't be about making a quick buck, right? But something that I wanted to also touch on was um, the agriculture industry, we think of the big farms, right? The big agro, we think of these huge corporations that are just mass farming, mass producing as much food as they can doing it by pretty much whatever means possible, right? There's also these farmers that we have to think about that are in an agreement with these corporations or with certain suppliers for companies that they're trying to make it by too, you know? Like their sustainable practices, they're farmers. They know what they have to go through every single day. They're not removed from the process of actually growing the food. They're there every day farming the land, trying to devise ways to to make it more feasible for the environment and for their pocketbooks right that they're not the ceo sitting at the top of the ladder not even knowing how to grow a house plant right it's it's a different kind of vibe that you have to take into account with these these farmers and as far as sustainability goes leaps and bounds folks as we get into this new generation of of science-based people and people in STEM majors that are realizing that we're going to have to change how our food system is run. We're getting a lot of research on even utilizing um, like digital digital systems and big data in weather patterns and stuff and crop management in different countries and, and urban agriculture and how do we plan cities to account for this so that we don't have to emit carbon and greenhouse gases when we drive to go to these places like what if everybody could just walk right down the street to a market right and so replanting cities even like that and controlled controlled environment agriculture too is a big one where if we can sustain the natural growing season all the way through the not growing season, the off season with this controlled environment agriculture, how many more people can we feed and how more sustainable can it get if we use things like greenhouses that are, that are run on solar power or different stuff like that. And so the agriculture industry definitely has a long ways to go. And I think our generation gets a little impatient with it because we want all of this change now. And we realize the immediate need to, to make our voices heard, but we have to endure it. We have to go through it. We have to put in the work. Otherwise, it's not going to happen. And so I think it's our generation and those a little bit behind us and before us that are really making headway in sustainability and agriculture. And we just need to keep going and going off of the economic perspective that Sakshu is giving and privatization. It's, it's also up to the government to subsidize these farmers who want to go organic or who want to focus more on resilience or contributing to their communities instead of shipping all of their food off to different places to be packaged and stuff. And it's up to the government as well and the people that we put in power to to instigate things like that and in our lives in the broad scale so that we can actually see a change with that.
1: One more thing to add in terms of a controlled environment, hydroponics and vertical farming is the future. It literally is. And I mean, if we can find a way to like mass produce um, produce or mass produce produce with um, hydroponics and vertical farming and things like that, we're set, we're for sure. Game changer. Yeah. Yeah. And there was this one grocery store that, um, that I was watching a video for, um, and they actually grow their, their, um, food on their roof, on their terrace. And I think that's the coolest thing ever. Like, like Fries and Safeway and stuff, they're kind of they're just big conglomerates, right? But like these kinds of grocery stores, it helps support families. But you're also help. They're also helping to support the environment while giving amazing food. that Fries or like um, Fries, Safeway Ralphs or whatever, they can't offer that kind of high quality high quality food. So I think just like understanding the different alternatives because we for sure have different alternatives with the, with the engineering seats that are going on today, right? Like we at U of A, there's a vertical farming like shipping container, right? Like outside of one of the buildings. I actually haven't been onto campus, but I've seen that multiple times in terms of, um, in terms of just like coming there for camps. And it's, it's one of like the biggest attractions, I think, for, for U of A, cause like I've seen that on every campus tour that I've taken. Um, so, so yeah, so I mean, just imagine like the pride factor that comes with it too. Like if people invent something that cool, you get to say, yes, we invented that. And yes, we're taking control of what we can do for this planet. So I think that's just, that's just an amazing opportunity
0: have anything that you wanted to add or
1: any closing remarks that you want to make just to like kind of end what you were talking about
2: I'm just gonna say it again go eat some vegetables go eat some fruits <laughs> absolutely Do you have any other thing you want to add I'm just
1: saying I, I love that that's just like the one thing I think that people need to take away do your research and go some vegetables.